Well, I am excited to get back into God's kingdom story, but before we do, I just have to thank Karen for being here. We are so thankful for the ministry of the New Hope Center, and that's why we're taking on this kingdom project. Uh, last year, we set aside 2022 as the year of the kingdom, and we've been asking this question. If we follow wherever God leads, how much good could we do for his kingdom? And so we were looking for opportunities locally and globally, ways we could make a difference. And we're continuing to ask that question, and that's what's led us to this kingdom project. So uh, here's the plan. As Karen said, we've got these baby bottles in the back of the room. And on your way out, pick up one of those bottles, one per family. And over the next two weeks, we'll fill those bottles with spare change and bills and checks. And then we'll come back together on February 26th and add the total of what we've collected and see how much we can give to New Hope. If you have an elementary age child, they're going to get their bottle back in Kidstown. And it's great for them to get involved in this project as well. But let's see what we can do together. I know that God will use our generosity to make a big difference. If you'd like to say hello to Karen or ask some questions, she'll be in a display uh, in the gathering area after service. Well, it's time to get back to God's kingdom story. Uh, if you've been at Plum Creek lately, you, you know that we've, we're taking several months to go through the big story of the Bible from creation to Christ and I wanted to take a moment to make sure we understand why we're doing this. Here's the deal. If you are new to church, if you are exploring what it means to follow Jesus, this series gives you a bird's eye view of what God is doing throughout history. He's building a kingdom that will last forever and ever. And he invites us to be a part of it. So if you're new, this is very helpful. However, if you're not new, if you've already been following Jesus for a while, this series is helpful for you too. Imagine this scenario. Imagine someone coming to you and saying, hey, I know you're a Christian, uh, but I've never read the Bible, and I, I don't know exactly what it's about. Could you explain that to me? Now, the conversation may not go exactly like that. But these opportunities are around us all the time, opportunities to tell God's kingdom story. They're there if we're praying for them and looking for them. But are you ready for that conversation? Are you ready to help someone make the decision to follow Jesus? Because that's what this series is about. It's about equipping all of us to be ready to help people find hope and salvation in Jesus. So, with that being said, let's go back and remember where we are in the story. Uh, we just finished the first mini-series within the bigger series. Uh, we spent four weeks looking at the beginning of the story. And we started with the Most High God. We tried to explain this God who is indescribable. And we learned one primary truth. God's greatness, it's beyond our comprehension. He's just beyond us. Then in week two, we looked at the story of creation, the birth of the universe, the beginning of the human race. And what did we learn there? Well, we saw three important truths. God created our universe. We're not here by chance, despite what many people say. God's creation was originally good. There was no sin, no evil, no death. 
And then all human beings were created in God's image. And that's where our value comes from. The third week of this series was about the fall. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They sinned against God. They were kicked out of the garden. And that was a sad day because God's good creation was broken by sin. We also talked about the good news that God is in the business of restoring broken things. But unfortunately, that didn't happen yet because people, humanity, they went from bad to worse. And that's how we got to the flood. The people became so wicked, so evil, God had to do something. So he used judgment to correct a broken world. And all people on earth were wiped out and destroyed, with the exception of one family. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. They all boarded the ark. They rode out the flood. And when the waters receded, God brought a new beginning. It was kind of a big reboot for humanity. Now we're all caught up. Now we're ready to move on to a new chapter. And the title of this sermon is Scattering. So what's this about? Well, if you look at our picture there, you you see a little building. Uh, You might call it a tower. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you might have guessed that we're talking about the Tower of Babel this morning. And some people might be surprised that we're spending a week on this odd little story. Because we've divided up God's kingdom story into just 16 chapters. And there are so many important parts of this story You might think we just skip past the Tower of Babel. But from a big picture perspective, something big is happening in this story. And I'm excited to share it with you. This is a story worth telling. So let's go. As you know, the flood is over. Noah and his family walked off the ark and they started a new life. And do you remember, God gave this little family some instructions. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Go out and have a bunch of kids. Have have grandkids, great-grandkids. Go out and fill the earth. And that's exactly what they did. Genesis chapter 10 gives a record of Noah's family tree. Uh, This chapter is sometimes called the table of nations. Now, I'm not going to read this chapter for you. It's basically a bunch of names, but I will read you the summary at the end of this chapter. After all those names, uh, Genesis 10.32 says this, These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. And from these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Okay, pop quiz. We talked about Noah's sons. There were three of them, right? But do you remember their names? Noah's boys were named Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Yeah, and over time, the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, they scattered to different parts of the world. And I have a a map that gives you a basic idea of where these families settled. So we're looking at the Mediterranean world here. You've got uh, Italy up in the left-hand corner. That's northern Africa in the lower left. And then on the right side, we're moving into Asia. And you can see that Ham's family settled mostly in northern Africa. Uh, Shem's descendants uh, stayed around the Middle East, and then uh, Japheth's descendants went up into Europe and and farther into Asia. So if you're 
Italian, uh, you could probably claim Japheth as one of your ancestors. Now, I want you to remember this map because based on this picture, it looks like Noah's family did exactly what God told them to do. Go out and fill the earth. But the truth is, they did not obey God right away. Uh, They, at first, blatantly defied God's instructions. And that's what the Tower of Babel is about. Now, we read this story in Genesis chapter 11. And this may be a little confusing because Genesis 11 happens before Genesis chapter 10. Uh, This story is kind of uh, the background, the backstory of what you're seeing there. So we're going to read this. Uh, We'll start with Genesis 11 verse 1. And it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, which makes sense because at this point, Uh, We're not that far removed from Noah. But then check out what happens. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So what we have here is a group of builders. And did you notice, they, they built not just a tower, a, a whole city. The tower was the focal point of this city. And uh, do you think we have any idea where, where this city was? Actually, we do. I have another map that shows a, a rough estimate of Babel's location. And this would be in modern-day Iraq, so that's between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And uh, in ancient times, this area was called Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia was also called the Cradle of Civilization. And if you combine this map with the first one, you can see how this happened. You see that Babel was the starting point for this massive migration. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to these builders. Now, the story began in kind of a strange way, didn't it? It's basically a list of building materials. They said, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. So what's the significance of these bricks? Well, we're talking about new technology here. It was the brick revolution. Because up to this point, the builders pretty much used stone of odd shapes and they would cover the gaps with mortar. But over time, they learned that kiln-fired bricks that were flat on the top and then using tar instead of mortar, that worked a lot better. It's kind of like the difference between Legos and toy wooden blocks. Now, every kid knows that uh, you can build some cool things with wooden toy blocks Um, But your potential is limited. I was curious. I did a quick search. I was wondering uh, what was the tallest tower ever built with wood blocks. And I found out the the highest ever wood block tower was over 61 feet tall. Some guys in France set that record just a couple years ago, 2021. And 61 feet is pretty high, right? Well, what about Legos? 
Well, I, I searched that too. And as you know, Lego, Legos have some advantages over wood blocks. They stick together really well. Uh, they can support a lot of weight, which means you can build really high. How high? Well, the tallest Lego tower ever built was almost 115 feet high. That's taller than a 10-story building almost twice as tall as the block tower. So it's kind of like these builders in Genesis 11. They had the technology to go big. So they fired up their kilns and they started making bricks. And what do you think the Tower of Babel looked like? Well, uh, most scholars believe this tower was some version of a building that's called a ziggurat. If you go back a few thousand years before Jesus, ziggurats were really popular. They're kind of the forerunners of uh, the pyramids that you see in ancient Egypt. Now, this picture is a partial reconstruction of an original ziggurat. You can see the original one peeking up the top there. But I have a different picture of a model that shows uh, kind of what the completed ziggurat might have looked like. And when you look at this structure, I have to say, thinking about the limitations that builders had back then, I think this is really impressive. Uh, these guys, they did something amazing. They dreamed a big dream, and then they went out and accomplished it. And really, what's so bad about that? Would it be wrong to, to dream a big dream and go out and do great things? Well, not necessarily. But in this case, there were several big problems. Back in Genesis 11, verse 4, we saw what motivated these builders. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Okay, stop right there. They wanted to make a name for themselves. What does that mean? Well, at the very least, they were searching for significance, right? They wanted to feel important, successful, maybe powerful. They had uh, this selfish ambition, but then they took that ambition to an extreme level. Uh, when they say they're, they're going to build a name for themselves, uh, you got to look at that ziggurat again. See that stairway there, that's obviously a very important part of the building. And what do you think that's for? Well, ancient people like the Sumerians, they, they built these ziggurats with a temple on top. And they believed that gods would come down and live in that temple. And the stairway was a way for the priests and the, the royals to get up to the temple, get up to the gods. So they're doing two things here. For one, they're, they're trying to bring God down to a human level. But they're also trying to raise themselves up to God's level. It's like they're saying, okay, God, you come down, we'll go up, we'll split the difference, and then we'll be pretty much on the same level. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Except from God's perspective, that was not cool. Not cool at all. God is deeply offended. He is rightfully offended when human beings try to rise to his level or take his place. And we may not realize it, but we're also guilty of doing this. 
Because whenever God commands us to do something or he tells us not to do something and then we willfully disobey him, it's like we're pushing him off the throne and sitting down in his place. It's like we're saying, hey, God, I'm sorry, um, but uh, I I need to take over here. I need to go over your head. I'm happy to take your suggestions, but I don't take orders from anyone. It's ridiculous. That's exactly what these builders did in Babel. Back in Genesis 11, verse 4, there was another reason they built the tower. Did you see it? They said, if we don't gather together in one big city, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, hold on. Do you remember what God said to Noah and his family after the flood? In Genesis 9, verse 1, God said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. In other words, scatter. So uh, these people in, in Babel, when they built the city and built the tower, that was an act of blatant disobedience and defiance against God. And we know that God's going to do something about this, right? So let's go back to Genesis 11 and keep reading. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Okay, now what do you think here? Do you think God is intimidated by these people? Of course not. I mean, let's, let's not forget the flood. God destroyed everybody on earth except for Noah's family. And so God is not intimidated by anyone. But for some reason, God doesn't choose destruction this time. He just went down and confused these people. He took their one language and divided them up to many different languages. And it's hard to work together when you can't understand each other. So what happened next? Well, the people gave up. Look at verse 8. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. And by the way, Babel, is, uh, it sounds like a Hebrew word that means confusion. So it, it's an appropriate name. It was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And that was that. The descendants of Ham and Shem and Japheth migrated to all those different parts of the world and they settled in new lands. So let's think about this for a second. When God scattered these people, was that some kind of punishment or a curse? Was it an act of judgment? Well, in a way, yes, it was. But wow, compared to the flood, this punishment was pretty tame, wasn't it? So why did God let them off so easily? Well, this is what I was excited to share with you. God is up to something big here. He's putting a grand plan into motion. At the Tower of Babel, yes, God scatters the people, but he also launches a long-term plan to bring all nations together in worship to him. Now, that might seem like a bit of a leap, so let's go back and see how we arrive at that conclusion. First, when we look at Scripture and when we look at nature, 
we see that God loves diversity. He loves uniqueness. We have literally millions of examples of this. For instance, if you go scuba diving in the ocean, what do you see? You see all these different forms of marine life, a stunning variety. Uh, You got beautiful fish, scary-looking fish, otherworldly creatures like jellyfish. I mean, God's creativity is off the charts. But ocean creatures, that's just the beginning. Think about the human race. In this picture up on the screen, you've got kids from Vietnam, from Bolivia, from Pakistan, Malaysia, Switzerland, Ghana, United States, Nepal, all these different people, different cultures, and different languages too. It's a beautiful thing. And why do you think God loves this diversity and uniqueness? Well, when you think about it, the diversity opens up new opportunities and new pathways to bring glory to God. It's kind of like the relationships I have with my three kids, Luke, Kenna, and Leah Claire. They're all my kids. They have that in common. But they're also very different from each other. For example, uh, Luke is really into running. Uh, Kenna likes sewing. (laughs) And Leah Claire loves to sing. And so I love each one of them in a way that's unique to them because of their differences. Uh, Luke and I sometimes go running together, and I love when we get to do that. Uh, Yesterday, Kenna was sewing some gifts to give to her friends, and she was showing me these things, and I loved seeing that. I also love hearing Leah Claire sing, and it's a good thing I love that because she's almost always singing. You, You never lose her in the house. But all that to say, I love each of my kids in a special and unique way. And they also express their love for me in a unique way. So my relationship with my kids is similar to what God wants. He wants to delight in each one of us. And he wants all people, every nation, all these different cultures to express their love for him in their own unique ways. One day in the future, uh, God will gather representatives from every nation. And people will enter God's presence in worship. King David said that in Psalm 86 verse 9. David said, all the nations you have made, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. So that's the plan. That's the goal. And it all goes back to the Tower of Babel. That's when God launched this long-term plan to bring all nations together in worship to Him. But how would that be possible? How is it possible for sinful, broken, unholy people to enter the presence of a holy God? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. It's the gospel The good news, Jesus came into this world, he lived a perfect life, and he died a perfect death. He sacrificed his life on the cross, and he paid the penalty for our sins. He opened up the way for God to offer forgiveness and salvation and eternal life to all people from every nation. But I have to tell you something else. This is so cool. Not long after Jesus rose from the dead... 
God did something. He reversed what took place at the Tower of Babel. God reversed that scattering. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you might know. It was the day the church began. The apostles were huddled together. Jesus had just gone back into heaven, and and these guys, they didn't know what to do. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit showed up. And the Holy Spirit filled these apostles with a power they had never experienced before. And they started speaking and declaring the praises of God. And in Acts chapter 2, it describes that day. And it says, in Jerusalem on that day, there were people from every nation under heaven. People who spoke all these different languages. But then something miraculous happened. When the apostles began to speak, all these different people from all these different cultures heard them speaking in their own language. Acts 2 verse 7 says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? It's a good question. How did that happen? Well, we know how, right? At the Tower of Babel, God scattered the people into different languages and different nations. But in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, on the day the church started, God brought the nations together. They retained their identity, but they heard the gospel in their own language. It was a day of unity and diversity, and that's what God does. God brings about unity in diversity. That's why there's no place for racism among God's people. In in one way, every human being is one of a kind. Every culture is distinct. But in another way, human beings are all the same because we all reflect the image of God. And that's why we value every form of human life. Old, young, born, Unborn, people of every size and shape and ability and personality. We're all part of the tapestry that God has woven together. And through Jesus, it's possible for all of us to be forgiven of our sins, to receive salvation and join this group that God is calling together to worship him for all eternity, which is why he made us. That's why we exist. One day... We'll get to the final chapter of God's kingdom story. And on that day, we're going to see a beautiful picture. Remember that plan, God's long-term plan to bring all nations together in worship. It's going to happen. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a glimpse of this. In Revelation 7 9, the apostle John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All these diverse people united in worship. God wants all of us to be there. And it doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, what your background is. You want to be there too. We all want to be there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story 
and how it's a part of the, the big plan that you have put into motion. I thank you that you love all people, that you, you call all of us into a relationship with you that will last forever so that we can worship you for eternity. God, I thank you for your love for each one of us. I thank you for Jesus. And I pray that we will share that same love to the people around us, no matter who they are, what their background is, that we will love them as you love them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you need to take some kind of next step closer to Jesus, we invite you to do that. Maybe that's a next step of just uh, getting to know who we are as a church. And we invite you to stop back at the Connection Cafe after service and just take some minute to introduce yourself and we'll make sure you, you're up to speed and, and you get the information you need about our church and how you can get connected. Maybe you need to take that step of giving your life to Jesus, accepting that gift that God offers to all people, and being baptized into Christ. If, if you need to make that decision, uh, we'd love to help you with that as well. If you need prayer for any reason, uh, we'd love to pray with you. You can stop by the cafe or you can also come see me uh, down front here after service. But let's worship together.